merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend. Who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Counselor, comforter, keeper, spirit we long to embrace. You offer hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost the way. Oh, we've hopelessly lost the way. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace always hunger for oh our hearts always hunger for almighty infinite father faithfully loving your own Well, that's a, an appropriate song for the message this morning. And again, I don't uh, confer with our musicians or anything. I don't talk to Brother Josh about what the sermon topics are, but that's going to be a, that's a good one. That's a good one. Our hearts are hungry for You're the one our hearts are hungry for. Turn to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. 
If you find the book of Jeremiah, go to the right. It's right there. It's also one of the books Jeremiah is uh, giving credit for writing. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Jeremiah today and about the circumstance, the situation he found himself in and uh, how he viewed his circumstance in light of Christ or the Lord, I should say, God. All right, uh, let's go ahead and... uh, uh, let's go ahead and get there. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentation chapter 3. Let's begin reading in verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. Father, we come to You. We ask, Lord, that You would take just these next few moments and may our hearts be stirred and encouraged and may we be motivated and moved, Father, to truly focus our attention on You in the midst of our turmoils, troubles, and trials. We are needy people this morning, and we know, Father, that there are many solutions that are given for need. Lord, when it's all said and done, there is no solution but you. If we truly want our needs met, if we hope to be fully and completely satisfied and fulfilled, we will find that only in in you. Now bless us this morning. May you speak to our hearts. Father, may you fill me with your Holy Ghost. May I be your mouthpiece today. I have nothing to give this thy people except you give it to me. And I ask that you would be with every listening ear that they may hear with spiritual ears. Oh God, do a work in our lives today. May we be confident that we have met with you when we leave this place. We'll thank you and praise you for what you will do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah began his ministry during the reign of Josiah. Both he and Josiah were young men. And they were, what appears to be, it seems to be, that they possibly, it appears they were friends. I can't confirm that, but it certainly would seem so. It was Josiah that led the last revival in Judah. Unfortunately, we know that Although many hearts were touched overall, it was a very short-lived change. Josiah met his untimely death in the battle at Megiddo against Pharaoh Necho. But Jeremiah, he continued his prophetic career, if you will, his ministry, during the reigns of four very wicked and terrible kings that followed. The king Jehoahaz, uh, Jeho- yeah, Jehoaz, I had had these nailed. Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. He's, this Zedekiah was the last king of Judah. Now, Jeremiah, he preached a very, very hard message. A message that attempted to call the people of God, the nation, back to God. But he was never able to turn their back from that downward spiral that they had chosen. They turned their back on God. They never returned to him up to that point. And Jeremiah witnessed as a result the destruction of Jerusalem. 
For over a year, the armies of Nebuchadnezzar surrounded the city and they cut off all supplies. Some say it was upwards of 18 months. Within the walls, children wept for food and mothers scavenged the streets in search of something to eat. The hunger turned to starvation as his, and his stomachs began to bloat. As hope disintegrated, the cries of death were heard in every single home in Jerusalem. Bodies piled up in the streets. And with the unsanitary conditions that, as a result, took place, disease ravaged more and more people. Now we have hunger, starvation, and disease. More death, more carnage, more sorrow abounded. Finally, the city was attacked, and the battering rams pounded on the city gates. The archers fired thousands and thousands of arrows within the walls of the city, killing anything that moved. The enemy finally breached the walls. Not only did they kill the occupants or take them into captivity, but they began to burn down things. And ultimately, they would burn down the temple. They would burn down the king's house. They would bring ruin to the walls and turn them to very rubble. Again, some were carried away captive, while others were left there simply to die or to fend for themselves. As Jeremiah saw his city burning, as he saw his nation humbled before this wicked nation, he sat in the warm ashes with hot tears running down his cheeks. This man, Jeremiah, had seen and gone through Great trouble. His health was wrecked because of his concern for a nation. His heart was broken by the very destruction that he had seen come upon that nation. He had delivered the message of God, but nobody would listen. Still, he didn't run around saying, I told you so. I told you this would happen. He didn't do that. Jeremiah in Lamentations, as we read that, is now looking back upon the past. He had predicted the judgment that would come upon Jerusalem. And now he sits in the rubble and the ruin of Jerusalem, weeping and filled with sorrow as he writes this lamentation. He was a very sensitive man, a sincere and sympathetic man. He was a, as tender as a mother, yet he gave the strongest and harshest, harshest message in the Bible. He announced literally the destruction of Jerusalem and he pronounced judgment, warning the people to surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldeans. Surrender or you will be destroyed. Give up or you'll be taken. His message did nothing but get him into a lot of trouble. Here was a man whose heart was as bold as a lion but as tender as a lamb. Most would have chosen a man's man to deliver such a harsh and unpopular message. But God chose a man of tears to speak out against their sin and to point to the coming judgment of God. God's man was a man with a tender heart. One would be wrong to think that Jeremiah was anything but tough. But he was unusually tender as well. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan tells the story about Dr. Dale 
of Birmingham who used to say that Dwight L. Moody was the only man who seemed to him to have the right to preach about hell. When someone asked Dr. Dale why he said that, he said, because he always preaches it with tears in his voice. And that's the type of man of God, that's the type of man that God wants today. That's the type of man that God has used through the centuries. We have so many today who are not moved by the message that they give. Dr. Garrick, one of the great Shakespearean actors of the past, he, would, he told about a day when he was walking down the street in London and he found a man standing on the corner just yearning over the people. Garrick said, quote, I stood on the outside of the crowd, but I found myself imperceptibly working myself in until I stood right under the man and there came down from his breast hot tears. He went on to say that there was a woman there pointing her shaking, withered finger at the man who spoke and she said, Sir, I followed you since you preached this morning at 7 o'clock and I've heard you preach five times in the streets of this city and five times I've been wet with your tears. Why do you weep? That preacher was George Whitfield, a cross-eyed man who was burlesqued, as he says, on the English stage and denounced from almost every pulpit in the country. Dr. Derrick, excuse me, Garrick went on to say, he said, I listened to George Whitfield, and as I listened to him, I saw his passion and his earnestness. I knew that he meant that without Christ, men would die. As I listened to him, he came to the place where he could say nothing more. He reached up those mighty arms. His voice seemed almost like a thunderstorm as he said one final word. Oh! Oh! Why, he could break an audience with that word. When George Whitfield said, oh, men bowed before the Holy Spirit like corn bows under the wind. Corn bows under the wind. Garrick went on, I would give my hand full of, uh, I, I would give my hand full of golden sovereigns if I could say, oh, like George Whitfield. I'd be the greatest actor that the world has ever known. And of course, the only difference was that George Whitfield was sincere. He wasn't acting. Jeremiah was that kind of preacher also. He was a preacher of passion. He cared about those who he preached. Even in the midst of his message of judgment, the tears flowed. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet for a reason. Because he had tears in his eyes as he proclaimed the message of God. He cared about people and he loved people. But he also loved God more and he had to tell them the truth. And unfortunately now he sits on the Heaps of rubbish with tears streaming down his eyes as he sees the destruction of his nation and his people. Why did it happen? Why did God send his judgment and the destruction to Jerusalem? Why would God allow something so heinous and so horrible to happen? Well, simply because of Instead of loving Jehovah, the people of God, as he says in verse 2, courted many lovers. And the false gods of the heathen nations, and now those heathen nations had become her enemies. 
See, sin always brings sorrow and tragedy. In chapter 2, Jeremiah explains that God, who had once fought their battles, now fought against them because they had turned their back on Him. But you know what? We see a glimmer of hope among the rubble and ruin. We're introduced to a glimmer of hope in the face of the fire and the loss. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. Five chapters in the book of Lamentations, and only that portion of Scripture shines as a beacon in the darkness. And we see a prophet saying exactly what you and I must find ourselves saying in the midst of our circumstances, our turmoils, our troubles. Because through the tears, we hear the prophet say, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We think of that word mercy. The Lord's mercies. Mercies means that benevolence, that mildness or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. What the prophet is saying is simply this. We would have been utterly consumed had it not been for the mercy of God. There wouldn't have been one person left. There wouldn't have been one cry heard. There wouldn't have been one woman walk away or one man walk away or one child walk away. There'd be no elderly person given any mercy or they'd go nowhere in life. They'd all be done. They'd all be toast. They'd all be dead if it wasn't for the mercy of God. And may I say that although it seemed extremely difficult to observe and to watch the carnage take place, Jeremiah has to stop for a moment and he ceases looking at what has transpired and taken place. And he says, I gotta look up. I gotta look up. I gotta look up. And when he looked up, he saw none other than God himself. And he said, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. Oh, but why would God let this happen? Well, we already said why He let it happen. It's amazing, isn't it? We create our own problems. And then we want to blame God for them. God is still merciful. And as He says here, His compassions fail not. They are new every morning, and great is His faithfulness. Hey, we have failed him, but he cannot fail us. Boy, did Judah get delivered. I mean, here, we still talk about the Jews today, do we not? We still talk about them, and we know back in the 1950s they reassembled, and they, their nation seems to have been brought together. We know there's still more work to be done. However, they're not done with. We know they went into captivity for 70 years there in Babylon, but we also know that they came out of captivity. It had been easy. It had been so easy. 
in the midst of all the carnage, in the midst of all the fire and the rubble, to sit on the, the, a pile of rubble and say, oh God, you've, you've left us, you've forsaken us, you want nothing to do with us again. There's no hope for us. But Jeremiah stopped and said, i got to quit looking out here. i got to look up there. i got to look up there. There's hope. There's hope because where God is, there's always hope. He had promised Abraham that he'd make a nation that would come from his loins. He had promised Moses that he'd put them in a particular land and, and sure enough, He delivered them through Joshua into that land and established them there in the promised land. He promised David that that one would come from the, the, the lineage of David that would ultimately make a difference and change the world and eternity. And Jesus did just that. The prophets all said that God would not utterly destroy this people, but that he would judge them for their sin. And that's exactly what he did. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I can't imagine what's going on as he's sitting there on that pile of rubble and the tears are just flowing down his cheeks as he looks upon the bodies that are skewed about as he sees them still smoldering in the fire as he recognizes that the temple's been destroyed and that everything good that he ever knew in life is gone. And he looks, it is of the Lord's mercy that we're not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We've been unfaithful to you, but you've always been faithful to us. Through the tears we hear the prophet say, The Lord is my portion. Saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. That word portion means the Lord is my part. You know, he loved this city. He loved the temple. It was so precious. He loved the walls that provided protection from the enemies about. He had friends and loved ones that he cared about. When it was all said and done, he said, the Lord is my portion. Do you understand what he's saying? The Lord's my part. As I sit here and if I'm not careful, all I can see is the, the, the destruction. All I see is the ruin. All I see are the dead bodies. All I see and feel is the hurt and the heartache. It surrounds me and it's so surreal and it's so saturated my heart and my soul and my body. Here I am. What are we going to do, God? Where do we go from here? There's no hope for us. And Jeremiah looks up and says, whoa, 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 wait a second. What have I been trusting in all along? Who have I been trusting in all along? The Lord is my portion. 
It's God, and He's still there, and I still have hope. Even though everybody's dying, even though everything's falling apart, even though the world is going, you know where? My soul trusteth in thee and nobody else. It's amazing how we trust in the walls and we trust in the houses and we trust in the people. We trust in the government. We trust in everybody and everything but God. And when it all gets taken away, we say there's no hope. No hope. It's because we're looking this way. Jeremiah says, I'm not going to look that way. I got to take a break from all of this. I got to get my eyes on him. I got to get my eyes on him. And he says, it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. We're not through yet. You've got promises for your people. I know we're not finished. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, the Lord is my portion He's my part, and nobody can take him away from me. You go ahead and stick me with a sword or put a spear through me. You burn my flesh, but he is my portion. You can't take that away from me. And notice it says, saith my soul. You know, we're good at saying those things. I'm trusting Jesus, preacher. I'm just trusting the Lord. But it's not in our soul. It's on our lips, but it's not in our soul. Oh, it's easy to say, oh, bless God, it's been tough. I'm trusting Jesus. Huh? I'm not saying we don't cry when sorrow comes. I'm not saying we don't feel pain. You don't think Jeremiah was feeling it there on this heap pile of ashes? But he was able to get his eyes off of that for a moment. He was able to refocus. He was able to recalibrate. He was able to look and see that there was still a God in heaven that loved him and loved his people and whose promises did not go away with the battle. He said, there's still hope. There's still hope. There's still hope because there's still God. And God is my portion. He got some pretty bad news that day. He hears the banging on the city gates. Here they're coming. It's been a year or more and we're starving to death and disease has taken our family and our loved ones and our friends. But now it's over. It's over. I hear them knocking on our doors. It's over. And sure enough, it was. And as he sat down here, and he might have been tempted like some of the others to say there's no hope, he looked up. I still got him. And he still loves me. And although it seems like it should be hopeless, it's not. Because I, the Lord is my portion. He's what matters most. He's what I care about most.
In times of trouble, we need to imitate Jeremiah who looked away from his circumstances and himself and instead looked to the Lord, who waited on the Lord in patience and faith. I mean, through the tears, we can hear the prophet say, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. What are you doing down there, Jeremiah? I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm seeking after God. The reason we're in this mess is because we didn't wait on him and we didn't seek him, but I'm not going to quit. There's still hope because God's still alive and real and he's on the throne. What are you going through today? What are you facing that you feel is hopeless? I almost guarantee you this. It isn't as hopeless as that was. You don't know what I've lost. Let me ask Jeremiah, what did you lose? What have you lost? What have your people lost? We lost everything. We lost our city. We lost our temple. We lost our our homes. We lost our livelihood. We lost our family. We lost our friends. We lost everything that we can, we hold dear in this life. Everything that we counted good and worth living for is gone. And Jeremiah says, not me. Not me. I wasn't living for any of those things. You know what I've been living for all along? Him. The Lord is my portion. I've been waiting on Him. I've been seeking after Him. Is there something in your life that's come your way that you feel makes it hopeless? Can I tell you the answer hasn't changed from the day Jeremiah sat on that heap of rubble to this day. It's still the Lord. If he's not your portion, you will be disappointed, unsatisfied, and unfulfilled no matter how much you have in this life. And at some point, someone, someone or something can take it away from you. And if that's what you're depending on, if that's where your happiness and your joy comes from, are the things that you've surrounded yourself with, whether it's family, friends, loved ones, whether it's simply your house, your home, your cars, your, 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 your things... All of it can be taken away. It can all go away. The Lord needs to be your portion. That's the only solution you have to total insanity when the circumstances turn out the way they did for Jeremiah and the people of God. I want to encourage you today. Make the Lord your portion. Make up your mind there's no one and nothing else you're going to pursue more you're going to trust in, you're going to depend upon than him. Enjoy the blessings he gives you while you have them. We're not guaranteed tomorrow in this life. We're not guaranteed the things of our life either. Enjoy them. But do not neglect him because of them. Because sooner or later, someone's going to come along and possibly take them from you. And you will be miserable 
and feel like there is no hope. But there is. How can we, how could the prophet speak of hope in the midst of such tragedy, turmoil, and trouble? First, he points to God's mercy. Then he points to God's compassion. Then he points to God's faithfulness. Do you see God in your own mind, in your own life, as being merciful, compassionate, and faithful? How you view God will determine how you view your circumstances and your situation. So what does he conclude? Well, we just read it. He concluded, the Lord is my portion. I still got hope. Christ alone is everything I need. I will wait on the Lord, he says in verse 25. I will seek his face. The second part of the same verse. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. To the soul that seeketh him, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Will you make Christ your portion today? I didn't ask, will you just allow him to be a part of your life? Will you make him your portion? Will he be the part that you focus your greatest attentions on? When I grew up, there was tremendous hope most of the time that if we worked hard, we did our best, we would ultimately have a life worth living. We would have something to show for it. I'm not convinced that young people have the hope I did 40 years ago. But the truth is, is this. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. Things, people, and everything around us could go away tomorrow. But he's still faithful. Make the Lord your portion, or you too will feel helpless and hopeless more than you ever thought possible. But if you will make him your portion, you'll be amazed how much hope you can have sitting on a rubble pile in the midst of the world you live. Father, we come to you. We ask you, Lord, to help us. Today, Lord, there might be those in our midst that have never put their personal faith and trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. And we've been talking primarily to those that already have, but Father, the truth is, is that there first has to be a relationship that begins, and that relationship begins when we recognize ourselves as the sinners we are, and you're being perfect and holy. And Lord, we know that you died for us on the cross. You paid for our sin. You give to us your life. You loved us so much you came to this earth to pay the penalty for our sin. Today, we ask you, beg you, 
if there be any in the crowd that have yet to receive and accept Christ as their Savior, that great conviction would come upon their life that they'd recognize a need to trust and receive you today. For the believer, Lord, help us, Father, not to get so tied down to the things of this world that when they're gone, we sit in hopelessness, but instead help us to look up and see you and to be able to make you our portion long before those things might ever enter our life, long before a loss takes place, long before we we've find ourselves in misery on the heat pile of ashes that sometimes comes in life, even when we're doing our best to live for you like Jeremiah did. But Lord, help us to look up and make you our portion. And in doing so, we will have hope. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye